There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We just prayed and now we're going to study Revelation chapter 21. We left off right around verse 9. Just so you get the flavor of where we are, I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 just to give you the context. Um, we have come through the uh, great tribulation. Before that, the seven letters to seven churches. Through seven years of a great tribulation with Antichrist and so many disasters and deaths on the earth and the second coming of Jesus in chapter 19 and the marriage supper of the lamb chapter 20 was the thousand year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. Chapter 21 is what's called not a thousand years, but the eternal state where we'll be from now, uh, from then on, I should say. Um, before I read chapter 21, so I know that you're awake. Those of you that are here say, amen. amen. Oh man, are you awake? Those of you on Zoom wave or say amen, or I can't hear you, but I, I see you there in Vanuatu as well. Welcome. All right, here's chapter 21, the first eight verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. This is the first, in the last chapter, we saw the uncreation. I know that's not a word, but the uncreation of the world. It just sort of burns up and there's nothing left. This is the new heavens and the new earth promised throughout the Old Testament. Verse two, I saw the holy city, your new home, by the way, your future home. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, or behold, I love that better. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with him. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. All of those bad things will be absent forever in the new Jerusalem, the eternal state, your future home. All of those things were caused by the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's why people die, get sick, why there's tears, etc. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. It's an invitation, really, the to the thirsty. Verse 7, those who overcome or those who are victorious will inherit all of this. The beauty of inheritance is you get stuff you didn't really work for or earn or deserve. That's a good picture, isn't it, of salvation. We'll inherit all of this. I'm still in the middle of verse seven, and I will be their God and they will be my, look at the family relationship, my children, God's kids. But the cowardly, here's the negative, who's not going to be there? The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, that's sorcery, 
pharmakia in Greek, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's hell. This is the second death. That's where we left off. Let's dive into verse 9, shall we? One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, you remember those, the worst of the disasters on planet earth or judgments. One of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now there's a contrast here. Flip back to chapter 17, verse one. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, come, I will show you the punishment of the great harlot or prostitute who sits on many waters. That's Babylon the great, the false religion married with um, uh, evil government, if you will. Purposely, almost the same language in verse nine. Another one of those angels, maybe the same one. This time, which woman am I going to see? Not the harlot, not the prostitute, the bride. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The lamb in Revelation throughout the New Testament, and really the Old Testament is always the Messiah, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. So he's going to show John, I want you to see the bride, the wife of the lamb. As you know, in the Old Testament, Israel was the wife of God and was shown to be over and over sort of unfaithful idolatry, false gods, they're melding in with the pagan societies and what have you. And so God puts a pause there and the church, Christians around the world who have ever lived are collectively the bride of Christ. But just like you would say, uh, if you're performing somewhere and you say, hello, Boston, you don't mean hello to the city itself. You're saying hello to the people. So the bride of Christ is both the church, all believers, and the city that they're going to live in. It'll take on their characteristics. So come, I'll show you the bride, end of verse 9, the wife, the bride of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit verse 10, to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. You say, well, wait, that was in verse 2. This is a, a very, um, uh, very often this tactic is done in the Bible, especially Old Testament, more so than new. The tactic is they give you the, the basic thing and then a few verses later or a chapter later, they expound on it. You look at uh, Genesis two and uh, 1 and 2, sorry, is the creation of the world. Genesis 1 is the creation. Genesis 2 is, he sort of starts over and goes, now let me tell you about the creation, and he gives you way more detail. That's what's going to happen here. We're about to get a bunch of detail about this city that's your future home uh, and mine. Um, so let's see, where were we? Um, he carries him, him away, sort of in an ecstatic state somehow. Um, whether this is physically or not, it's hard to say. But he says in the spirit, so it's probably not. He carried me away in the spirit. Uh, talk about a ride, right? To a very high vantage point where he could see everything, to a mountain, great and high. And he wants him to see the holy city descending out of heaven. It comes from God. Uh, down to the earth. That's where we're going to live. Um, so he, that's what he wants to see, the holy city, Jerusalem, which was always the capital of the world for the Old Testament and even the new. 
right? And you may say, well, New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, God for God, Jerusalem's the holy city. Coming down out of heaven from God, that's uh, the destination is earth, it's coming from God. It's coming from God as a gift. James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift, anything good you have in your whole life, comes down from heaven from the Father of lights, that verse says. Every good thing you have. That's why I said earlier we owe him everything because we do. So here comes the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now what follows is a description, more detail. Verse 11. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So we're going to get more and more into the description. I just want to warn you, there's two descriptions, this one and then the one in chapter 22. And you'll note, I'll explain where they're different, but they're pretty different. Not that they're, they don't contradict each other, but there's different aspects. I'll, I'll show you that as we go. So John is amazed by the radiant glory of this shining city, the, the splendor of it. It's like a gem. It's like a jasper. A jasper was not always clear, but they, we call it a jasper. It's similar to a diamond is what people think. By the way, the names of these stones, some of them have changed over the years. It's hard to be dogmatic about what they mean, but we'll get to the stones in a minute. And I don't mean the rolling stones. Okay. Um, it's shown with the glory of God. Can you imagine a, a light brighter than the glory of God? If God created the sun, which is the brightest light we know, and by the way, the sun is a star, and as stars go, it's considered a small star. There are way bigger stars out there. God is brighter than all the combinations of all the light there could possibly be. So no wonder his city he's giving to us would shine like it with the glory of God, verse 11, brilliance like a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Why clear? I'll answer that a little later. Verse 12. Well, let me read my notes here. Yeah, we already talked about that. Verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't miss the Jewishness here. Okay, so a lot to talk about here. First of all, cities, if you go to pretty much any American city today, there's no city wall. We just don't do that, right? The city sort of ends and you get out in the suburbs and the farms and it's wilderness. In that day, there were so many invading armies and enemies coming. It was a big security thing to have a city surrounded, including Jerusalem, surrounded by a big wall. The bigger the wall, you could put guards on the wall. You'd know when an enemy's coming. You'd close the gates at night. It would be harder to attack the city. But you say, so what enemies are going to attack this city? Answer, nobody ever. But the wall speaks of, to that generation, security and generations subsequent to it after that. It, it speaks of gr a great high wall with 12 gates. Walls always had gates into the city, sometimes just four, north, south, east, west. 12 gates. Um, we're going to get into the dimensions here, which I, th I think are mind-blowing, but I'll let you decide. Um, 
three on the three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Um, so there were 12 angels at the gates. This is reminiscent of when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden for their sin. Do you remember God placed an angel there with a sword so that they could never come back into the Garden of Eden? Remember that that's how the Bible starts with a story in a garden and a great failure on the part of Adam and Eve. This is God tying up every loose end. And in the end, we're back to Eden, but it's way better than Eden. I'll show you as we go, because Eden didn't look like this. So a great high wall. We'll find out uh, later how big the city is. And I'll just tell you right now, if the scholars I've been reading are right, the wall, just to let you know, is 1,500 miles high. I know that sounds ridiculous. Uh, it's also 144 cubits or 216 feet thick, almost a football field, thick. Football field 300 feet. Okay. A great high wall with 12 gates, so that speaks of security, um, but also... Gates, we're going to find out, are always open, meaning access. Maybe we go into other universes. I don't know what that means, but it's an absolutely secure city. Um, twelve angels at the gates. On the gates, end of verse 12, were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. If you know anything about the twelve tribes of Israel, and if we had on a test, name the twelve tribes of Israel, I can tell you right now, everybody would get it wrong, and so would I. Because there are, I believe, 19 different lists. Well, which is it? Earlier in the book of Revelation, the book, the tribe of Dan is omitted because they were the ones that introduced idolatry to Israel. Um, there is no tribe of Joseph, but his two kids each get a tribe name. But in, in, um, and Levi wasn't counted as a tribe. Do you see what I mean? It gets a little, well, which is it? It doesn't really matter. What this represents is that God's chosen, saved believer people, both from the Old Testament, faithful Jews who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, and Christians who look back to the coming of the Messiah, are all included here. But he starts with the Jews because that's where it all started. Amen? If you're awake, say amen. Okay, not as awake as you were 20 minutes ago. All right, um, so let's see. The 12 tribes of Israel are named there, um, recalling his faithful uh, Jewish uh, believers. Matthew 19.28, Jesus tells the apostles that they will sit on 12 tribes and, wait for it, judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, kind of interesting. Um, on 12 thrones, uh, yeah, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So God has a role for faithful Israel and the church. They're melded into one people of God that will live in this eternal city forever. Uh, verse 14, yeah, we already did 13, three on the east, three on the north, south, west. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Guess what? That's another hard list. Because you don't include Judas, do you? Okay, so that's 11. So the apostles in, in Acts, remember, they picked Matthias. So is he the 12th? Or is Paul? 
the 12th apostle. See what I mean? Does it really matter? No. The point is the faithful Jews and the Christian church are represented here. Now, if you know anything about building, you know that walls don't usually have foundations, not like this that are visible above the ground. They would be below the ground. This city has foundations below the walls all the way around, 12 foundations um, the wall has, and on them are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Imagine if you are Bartholomew or James or Peter or John or whoever. Uh, what an amazing thing, but for all eternity, this carpenter from Nazareth that you followed thinking, are we doing the right thing following this guy? ends up being the God of the universe. And your name is forever remembered on these 12 foundations. Keep your finger here and go to Ephesians chapter two. I just wanna show you something real quickly, speaking of apostles and foundations. So take a left and find Ephesians, Galatians, then Ephesians. If you find Philippians or Colossians, you gotta take a left. If you found Corinthians, take a right. Ephesians chapter two, Verse 12, let's pick it up in 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Consequently, you are no longer, he's talking to Christians, no longer foreigners and aliens, but your fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household family. Here it comes. What about God's household, Paul? Verse 20. Built on, this is interesting, the foundation of, of the apostles, New Testament, and prophets, New Testament and Old Testament. What about Jesus? With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the most important stone of a, of a building, if you will. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. You see that? To the Lord. He, it's a metaphor for the fact that all believers are we're each a brick, so to speak. Jesus is the most important cornerstone. We're each being built up into this house. And notice that it's a temple, a place of worship. Now go back to Revelation with me. That's going to come up again later on. Um, let's see. So the wall has 12 foundations. There's the apostles remembered. They're apostles of the Lamb. Keep in mind, in this book, he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the creator. He is God Almighty. He's the Alpha and the Omega, as well as the Father is. But Paul, uh, John, sorry, consistently is using a lot the name the Lamb, because that's the reason you and I are going to live in this city, because he was the Lamb that was willing to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Remember what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 15. Now I'm looking at notes here. Um, oh, foundations speak of, in the Old, uh, Old Testament, permanence, um, that something is going to last. Um, verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Now it's interesting in the Old Testament, in the temple, uh, only certain instruments were made of solid gold. The city and the job of measuring it is so important that the measuring stick that the angel has is made of pure gold. Okay, What we'll find in the city is gold is so common, we pave roads with it up here kind of thing. It's not that the roads are valuable. It's like, oh, that's gold. No big deal. Okay. 
You get the feeling as you read this that John is trying to describe something he's never seen before and trying to use words we could understand, but it's maybe beyond description. Um, okay, so he's got a measuring rod of gold. He's going to measure the city, the gates, the walls. Here it comes. Verse 16. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. A, 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 a stadion was 600 feet. You say, I don't know what a stadia is. I know the 49ers play in a stadium. What are you talking about here? Okay, 1,500 miles square. 1,500 miles is roughly, on, I measured it out on a map so that it's going to be by Jerusalem probably, although the world will be reconfigured. I don't know that we'll know where we are exactly. But in the U.S., if you know your U.S. geography, if you start at a corner in San Diego, with me so far? Way down almost to the Mexican border. San Diego is one corner. You with me? Houston, Texas is 1,500 miles, give or take. That's another corner. Up to Minneapolis is another corner. All the way over to Seattle is another corner. That's roughly 1,500 miles square. It's a big city, isn't it? Plenty, plenty, plenty of room. Um, but it's also, um, as high as it is long, The uh, let's see. By the way, it is length, width, and height. So on the side of the earth, okay, remember a standard globe? You, how many had a globe when you were growing up? Like going to school, you could look at stuff and spin it. and Okay, a standard globe, at least at my house, was about that big, okay? I saw a graphic. I almost printed it in the notes and went, oh, I'll just tell them. This city, 1,500 miles, is, if the globe is this big, and the earth is the same size, it's like roughly the size four inches by four inch square, the city coming down onto the globe. Roughly the size of a, the smaller to-go thing you get at a Chinese restaurant, if that helps you, okay? With no MSG, by the way, in heaven. Anyway, the wall of um, three gates. Okay, yeah, we already did that. Um, like a square, as long as it is wide, he measured the city, 12,000 stadia. The point is, plenty of room. It's, it would be the biggest city ever on planet Earth. There's never been a city anywhere near that big, right? There's great dignity in this job of measuring it. There are scholars that think, though, this is a little weird, I never thought of this, read it this week, that instead of being a square, 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500, it's at least a square at the bottom. It could be a pyramid. It would still be 1,500 meters at the top, uh, 1,500 miles, sorry, at the top, out into space either way. I don't know why it would be a pyramid, but it doesn't really say a cube, so to speak. Thought I'd throw that in at no extra charge. Some people have said that the fact that it's not only so big, but so tall indicates that the buildings might go very high or that we might have the ability to fly. Does it say that, Joe? No. But why make a city so tall for nothing? I, I won't sell that one too hard on you, but it'll be on the test, so write it down. The angel, verse 17, measured the wall using human measurement. 
it was 144 cubits thick. Okay, so this is 216 feet thick. That's a thick wall. Why go to that extreme? Jesus says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. He's been busy, right? This is where the, the, the place he was talking about. Um, the square footage of this city is the approximate square footage, this shocked me, of the moon. Um, we already said San Diego to Houston, Minneapolis, Seattle, and 1,500 miles, miles into space as well. The point is plenty of room for all. Now, Henry Morris is a Bible scholar. He calculated, and there's other numbers that are similar, how many people have ever lived in the history of planet Earth, okay? So you get guesses from 80 billion to 120 billion people have lived in the history of the world. Um, so he used 100 billion people, and he guessed 20%, which might be generous, were saved. Okay? If that's true, so 20 billion people living in this city, 1,500 miles wide, you can picture it on the map, remember? The result is, if you want it, because we probably want to live close together, we would each have 75 acres. Hard to believe. Um, plenty of room. Um, the wall, 216 feet tall. We already said that. The wall's symbolic because there's no enemies to keep out. Well, what if Satan or the demons, they're all in the lake of fire? What if the Antichrist are all in the lake of fire? At the time this is written, every single unbeliever and all the demons and Satan and the false prophet and Antichrist are in the lake of fire forever and ever. Until, from to the ages unto the ages of ages, I think it says literally in the Greek. They're gone. There will never be any enemies. It's just symbolic. Okay, let's keep rolling. Um, let's get into the geography uh, or the building materials, shall we? The verse 18, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. Now that's interesting, because if you showed me a clear stone and said, this is gold, I'd say, no, it's not, right? God knows pure gold from not quite pure gold. I guess pure gold is pure as glass. You'll notice there's a transparency about this city. If you're going to make a wall, I'm expecting the wall to be at least made out of wood, but better stone and concrete and right? It's a clear wall because there's nothing to hide from. You got a view of the universe from everywhere. Um, that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, so staggering beauty. Jasper can be a clear stone or light blue green. Um, we'll get into these stones in a second, and then I'll get into Jim's email, uh, uh, his video in a second. Um, let's see, where were we? Um, so the wall's made of pure jasper, and the city's made of pure gold, as pure as glass. As I said, streets of gold, you always hear in heaven, boy, we're all going to be rich. Gold is no big deal in heaven. No big deal. Um, verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Now, in, in America, and probably around the world these days, it's different than it was 
100 or 200 or 300 or 500 years ago when it comes to building houses of worship. You've probably noticed. Now, this is a nice building, but if you look around the outside, it's stucco. It's, it's not gaudy, right? Gold. And it, it's, we tried to build this building in an inexpensive way that was still functional. And, but you go to Europe or even the St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, man, paintings on the ceiling, gold, and it's just over the top, right? My own opinion is I'd rather just have a plain building and let's just worship God. It's not about the, oh, look at the gold, right? Okay, God sees things differently, but there's a reason for these stones. What we're about to see is a list of 12 stones. In a cursory reading, if you're honest, you read this and go, okay, skip down. Who cares what the stones were? I get it. A bunch of nice jewels. Let's move on, right? The more you read the Bible, if you remember nothing else, remember this. The more you read the Bible, don't skip over anything. Every word is in there for a reason. We talked about eight or 10 weeks ago. This is a detour, but I'm not going to do it for long. In the book of Genesis, there are the generations listed from Adam to Noah, the flood, which is a real turning point, a comma in history. And it lists the names, Adam, and Adam begot Seth, and Seth begat, and it goes through all, right? Methuselah, and it gets down to Noah. And you look at these lists of names and you go, okay, whatever, let's move on. Chuck Missler, and we have somebody here that used to work for Chuck, and others researched the meanings of those, 12, those 10 names, the 10 generations from Adam to Noah, that you and I would skip over and go, yeah, it's nice names. Each name means something. And when you put the 10 names together, it forms a sentence and explains the gospel. Adam means man. I, I can't go through the whole list because I'm doing this from memory. The names of the... Uh, the meaning of the names are as follows. Man appointed, mortal sorrow. Blessed God will come down. Teaching. Eight, his death shall bring the despairing rest. Full sentence, man is appointed or has chosen mortal sorrow, sin. But the blessed God shall come down, Jesus Christ, teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Pretty amazing. Okay. So you say, that's great. Can we move on? Okay. Sorry. I thought it was interesting. The foundations, verse 19, were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth Emerald, and you may have different translations for some of these words. Um, verse 20, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. There's another one of those lists that you go, okay, move on. We get it. Fancy stones. Great. It's really decked out. He's going all out for us. Jim sends me this. And I'm still mad at Jim for sending it like quarter of five. I'm getting ready. I'm like putting my shirt on. I go, what is this email? Um, anyway, as a matter of fact, you didn't, you didn't attach the email. 
right? So I'm like, well, I mean, the link to the YouTube. So I'm like, well, what is it? So I Googled it, found it, and print, printed this out. Then I got your text and true confessions, and yes, I know this is illegal, while driving here, after praying, with my phone right here, I very carefully listened, but occasionally couldn't resist watching the video. It's about six minutes long. Only in the past 60, 70, 80 years has what, I've, what I'm going to tell you been discovered. Okay? Translation, 200, 500, 1,000, 10,000, 200, 2,000 years ago, no one knew this. So is this a lucky guess on John's part or something going on with these stones? With the invention of lasers, scientists have discovered that uh, cross-polarized light, which can identify whether a gem is, listen, either anis anisotropic or isotropic. Turns out all gems are in two categories. Even if they look clear, look, it's clear blue, clear green, green, clear red, clear white, whatever. Some of them, when you put a laser through it, they just turn dark brown or black. Others, certain ones, are anisotropic, and they display a, like a light show of a myriad of colors. It turns out, all 10 of these gems are anisotropic. So that if pure light, hello, God is light. Let there be light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If pure light hits these stones, which he's going to live inside the city as, as our Lord and God, the glory of God being there 24 hours a day, no night, we're about to find out. If that's true, then this city, if you could see it from a spaceship a million miles away, it would look like a light show. It would just be dazzling. Pretty amazing. Only in the last 60 or 70 years did scholars figure that out. Jim Foster, you get an A for today or an A minus for forgetting the link, but I'll give you an A. Um, let's keep rolling. So there's the 12 stones. Verse 21. Uh, oh, uh, one last thing. The other thing is eight of the 12 stones are from the Old Testament, Exodus 28. God tells the Jews, for the priest, I want the high priest to have a certain garment, and I want stones on there. Eight of them are here. Thought that was interesting. Um, Okay, let me look at my notes here before we move on. I don't want to skip anything because you guys will fire me. Um, but the whole place is transparent. You ever heard the saying, people that live in glass houses, God doesn't care about that. He wants the glory to shine throughout the universe. I, I think it's just beautiful. Um, there's no possibility of a, a, a fall or anything. It's just going to be all glory. Uh, transparency. Uh, Hebrews 11. Let's go there. You're not going to finish Revelation, Joe. You're getting... I'm trying, but I can't resist this one. Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 10, but who knows? I, yeah, it is. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father, miracle, because he considered him, God, faithful who had made the promise. 
Um, that's not the verse I wanted. Um, they were looking for a city whose builder and designer is God is the verse I want. Anybody see where it is? I thought that was it. What verse? 10? Oh, did I read 11? Sorry about that. Um, I don't know my numbers that well. Okay. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Are you saying the author of Hebrews and the Old Testament saints vaguely knew about this new Jerusalem? I am. Uh, it's the new Jerusalem. Everything's brand new. Okay. Go back to Revelation. We could also go to Hebrews 12, which talks about the city as well, but we'll keep moving. Um, okay. Verse 21. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, good. You guys on zoom, Jane and Roy, I see you waving. Okay. Uh, and Joe, I see you in Mariposa there. Okay. Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. That's a big pearl. I mean, a really, 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 really big pearl. In the ancient world, diamonds, rubies, emeralds weren't as valuable as pearls. In the ancient world, pearls were it. Some people think because a pearl is the only one that is made naturally. Some of you know, how is a pearl made? From an injury, listen, to the flesh of that oyster, right? Some scholars, more than one commentary, maybe several, said, is this a reminder of the fact that because of an injury, injuries multiple, to the flesh of the Son of Man, the Messiah, that's the reason you get to live there, and so do I. We, nobody living in this city deserves to be there. It's all him. Giant, single pearls, which made me ask, how big was the oyster? Wow, like the size of Mars kind of thing. Okay, um, the second half of verse 12, uh, 21, the great city, the great street, sorry, of the city was of gold. Again, as pure as transparent glass. So there's great purity there. One great main street. Most cities had the main street. Okay, This is a really big, big street, we're going to find out. With a 1,500-mile city, you would expect it to be. It's made of pure gold. Again, gold is no big deal in heaven. Um, yeah, ir irritation or wound in an oyster is what makes a pearl. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Okay, so you and I go, no temple, all right, whatever. In those days when John's writing, it would be unheard of to go to a city and there's no temple. You mean Jewish temple? No, no, I mean temple to Aphrodite, temple to this pagan god, temple to Baal, temple to... that. Some of the cities were full of different temples, pick your god, multiple choice kind of thing. No temple. Okay, so the question arises, what's a temple? A temple is a place you would go, listen, to meet God. A temple is a place you would go to pray. A temple is a place you would go to learn about God. A temple is a place where there would be sacrifice. 
So in this big, giant city, you can't say, well, there wasn't enough room to build the temple. There's no need for a temple. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty, that's God the Father, verse 22, and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are its temple. All those things I said you need to, you would use a temple to do, except one, you can do there. Because God will be among us. Christ will be among us. You can speak with him, learn from him, pray to him, worship him, whatever you want to do. What's left out? Sacrifice. No need now. One sacrifice for all, Hebrews calls it. And because of that, that's our admission ticket, if you will. So no temple whatsoever. Um, and in a way, the whole place is one big temple. As I said, unheard of to have a city without a temple. It would be like a large city in America. No Starbucks, no grocery store, no gas station, no, you fill in the blank, right? There's no schools here, no temple. The lamb is the temple. God it's himself is the temple. It's finally what we've slowly creeped, crept closer to, but never gotten there. What do you mean? Adam and Eve sort of had this. What do you mean? Unfettered, uh, uninterrupted fellowship face-to-face -face with God. Very short time. They sin. We don't know how long. They sin. There's the curse. We're going to talk about the curse next. They're kicked out. Fellowship gone. They can still pray, can't see God anymore. Um, the Jews, Moses sort of had it in a burning bush. But Moses asked, can I see your face? And God said, no. No man can see my face and live. Why? Because you people are so sinful, it would kill you to see my brilliance. Not mine, God's. So the Jews then had a visual of God, a pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. Remember all that? Not the same. Then a huge jump forward uh, right around uh, the time of the birth of Christ. God with men, Emmanuel, God with us, remember? The, was he the totality of God when you looked at him? No, he looked like a man, but he was God fully. You watch him, you see God's reaction to things. The apostles had that for a few years, and then he was gone. But then Christians took another huge leap forward. Believers get the Holy Spirit, God himself, third person of the Trinity, living inside of you, a louder conscience, one who makes the word of God come alive, one that convicts you of sin, one that teaches you and gives you wisdom to the extent you obey and submit. Pretty good. Not as good as this. God, face to face, unashamedly, we don't have to be ashamed of sin. There is no sin. We're totally forgiven. Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our very aging bones. Make sure those of you who are here say hello to someone you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Find your seats back there, if you will. Welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We're right in the middle of the uh, exciting two chapters at the end of the book end of the Bible. Okay. Uh, no temple. God and the Lamb are its temple. The whole, the whole city is a virtual temple, total fellowship with God anytime, day or night. But then again, there's no night, we're going to find out. Uh, verse 23, the, the city does not need the sun 
or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So you got the picture? This is a totally new thing. We can't imagine daytime light without the sun, right? It would be always dark. In heaven, this verse technically doesn't say there's no sun or moon. Did you notice that? It said there's no need for the sun or the moon. Could there be a sun or the moon? Could. I don't think so. I think it's self-sufficient light. So if you're in this city in the solar business, you're out of business because God is there. Jesus is there. There's plenty of light. That's how much glory and light they give off being in that giant city. Do you remember in the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, Jesus says to nine of the apostles, wait here. He takes his inner cord, Peter, James, John, high up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember this? And suddenly he starts glowing like they can barely look at him. It's, I always use this analogy. It's stupid, but I like it. It's like Clark Kent goes, come into this room. Let me show you who I really am. And you see the big S there, right? For savior. Anyway, uh, Jesus. So Jesus shows them who he really is. Do you remember that? And he's shining with bright light. I think that was a billionth of how much light he can actually shine if he wants, because here it is. Um, pretty amazing. Light always speaks of comfort. Let's face it, the sun is warmth, it's comfort. Remember as a little kid, you were way more comfortable with the light on when in the dark, right? Absolute, total light uh, always. Kind of an, just an amazing thing. Uh, comfort and joy, yeah, light speaks of. Uh, also, without light, there's no beauty because you can't see. Look at this painting, and if it's dark, you go, I can't see it. Light reveals beauty, and there's nobody more beautiful than Jesus and his Father God. Um, the glory of God, I'm still in verse 23, gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Beautiful. The nations, verse, verse 24, will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Wait a minute. Who are these kings and how did they get there? Are these unbelieving kings that are bringing splendor in? No, nothing impure. No, nobody's there that's not a total believer in the Lord Jesus. But some of them may have previously been kings and they're bringing the splendor of who they are. I'm King Nebuchadnezzar or whoever, if they're believers coming in or presidents of the United States or prime ministers of whatever, but they're bringing in the splendor that they had and saying, it's all his glory. It's all his light. We will all be like the moon reflecting the sun, S-O-N, if you followed that. Um, first words in creation, well, not first, but very early in the book of Genesis creation, right? Let there be light. First thing, let's turn the lights on. Light also speaks of knowledge in the Bible. Um, so, uh, we'll see everything there through the glory of him, God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, and the splendor of the city uh, as well. The nations, meaning from every nation, there'll be believers there, right? And I'm fond of saying, when you get to heaven, don't say, 
where's the Presbyterian neighborhood? That's kind of where I'd like. There's not going to be a Presbyterian, a Baptist, an Assembly of God neighborhood. We're going to be one people, right? Uh, and have forever to enjoy that city. Verse 25, on no day will its gates ever be shut. This is very unusual. Like I said, cities always closed their gates and locked them at night for fear of you know, invading armies or enemies, thieves. On no day will its gates be shut, for there will be no night there. No night. You say, how are we going to sleep? I don't think you need to sleep. I think you can eat if you want, but I don't think you need to eat either. Jesus ate when he was risen from the dead, remember? Angels ate in the Old Testament, uh, so it, just a whole new thing. If you're twisting your head going, what? No night. Um, like I said, night, darkness. There's no darkness there. The gates are always open. Listen, what does that mean? Absolute freedom. You mean for people, aliens like E.T. to come in? I don't think so. But it might mean... They're open, meaning total openness and security because God's there. But it might mean open for you and I to be able to venture out into other. I think I'm going to go to Pluto. I'll be back in an hour, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. Um, let's see. The, yeah, no night there. Interesting. Verse, again, if you're a light bulb salesman, electrician, you're out of work. Verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. All of the splendor of all that stuff, all the saluting of the flag, and there's nothing wrong with being nationalistic about America. I love our country. However, all that glory is going to be redirected to the reason you and I are there, your future home. The glory of the nations will be brought into it. Verse 27, how about on the negative side, John? Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This goes back to the practice in, the, in that time frame of a city would have a city register and your name would be there as a citizen. If you moved or you died, they'd blot your name out. And if you moved to Chicago, then you'd be in that city in that register. There is a book in heaven, the Lamb's Book of Life, and your name was written in there the second you, in the sincerity of your heart, received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, I didn't know a lot of stuff. Doesn't matter. God saw the moment when you were truly born again, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, and your name got written up there. As soon as that happened, your name in the great white throne judgment we had in chapter 20, which is for unbelievers, which is about everything they ever said or thought or did that was a sin, under your name, all of that was blotted out. Me, I had like 78 pages of sins. Blotted out, it says, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. No record. Expunged. I love it. Nothing impure is ever going to enter the city, ever. Nor will any, any person who does what's shameful or deceitful, only the ones with the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Man, 
How do you get your, I want my name in that book. If you're saying that because you're not a believer, you need to read your Bible. If you're ready, get on your knees. Tell Jesus Christ that you're a sinner, that you realize you can't save yourself or stop sinning on your own, that you believe that he was the son of God, that he died for your sins and took your punishment on that cross and bled out and died in your place. What you deserve, he took. And he offers you his perfect record, his righteousness in exchange for your garbage, your sin, his gold for your garbage. What a trade, what a deal. The minute you do that in sincerity and God knows your heart, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and there's another name added in heaven and the angels are all high-fiving as soon as you do it. Okay. Um, so ends chapter 21. Now at this point, you're looking at the city that we've described. It's going to get described again now. And in a way, it seemed a little cold to me. I mean, no, the light, Jesus is there. I, I, I love it. But it's like a big fancy jewelry store. I'm not that into that stuff. And yeah, precious stones and the glory of God, I, that's all cool. Now we're going to go in 22 in. And you're going to find out it's alive in a lot of ways. Because all these stones, they're not alive. God's alive, we're alive, Jesus is alive. What's it really like inside there? Um, I'm just looking at notes here. God's glory will illuminate the whole earth, Isaiah 60, 19. Uh, we already talked about the pillar of fire. I think we're ready to go to chapter 21. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Wow, pretty good. Woke me up, I was kind of nodding off there. Um, yeah, uh, okay. So now we're going to see what I've been describing more completely. Paradise, Eden, regained, but much better. How could it be better than the Garden of Eden, Joe? Adam and Eve would have lived forever. There's no Satan. Can't, there's no one to tempt you. Nothing impure will never, ever enter it. Wait, but I'm there and I might be tempted. No, you won't. No sin nature. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Meaning you've been so, and I've been so purified, the idea of sin, the temptation of sin, isn't even a possibility there. Pretty amazing. Can you imagine it? No. Can I? No. Um, what man lost in Genesis is more than recovered in the new Jerusalem. You're going to find out. Um, we're going to find out what will nourish our lives as much as John can explain. It's not just a, a dazzling jewelry store. By the way, Garden of Eden had four rivers. The city has one. You say, oh, that's not as good. Wait till you hear about it. Trust me, it's good. Um, and there's one throne, the source of all life. Let's dive into chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel, same angel, showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from our good deeds eh, wrong flowing from the throne of god and of the lamb the water of life here is a picture of the sustenance what keeps us alive there forever it comes from where 
Our good deeds, our goodness, no. The throne, it comes from God and from the Lamb and flows out. The river, perfectly clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. By the way, the throne of who? God, no problem. And of the Lamb, problem. Why? Old Testament, God says in Isaiah, over and over and other places, I'm God. There's no other God. I will not share my glory with another. Sharing it with the Lamb, because the Lamb is the second person of the Trinity. God in three persons is the one God. One what? Three who's. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are the one God. If Jesus isn't God, then this is blasphemy. But it's not because he is. The water, the river of the water of life, the life-giving river. Here it comes right from the throne. Verse 2, describe it for me, John. Down the middle of the great street of the city. The river is where now? Right in the middle of the street. Are you picturing it? Must be a really wide street. How big is the river? Right? The on the Northbound traffic is here, then there's the river, then the southbound. I don't know. It's right in the middle of the city. It's the central thing in the city, the throne and the river. That's the point. And the fact that it's eternally flowing, what keeps us alive. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, now this one's going to bend your mind, just get ready. On each side of the river, yes, stood the tree, singular, of life. Wait, where's the tree? It's on both sides of the river. What? We had a German shepherd growing up and my brother and I, just for fun, he'd be outside and we'd have the screen door closed. He'd be on the patio and we would have a contest, my brother and I, to see who could make Herc, the German shepherd, do this. So we'd go, you know, a noise you don't usually make, the dog would go, what are you saying this for, Joe? Because I'm reading this going, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Do the right roots go underneath? Is it so big? The point is, the tree of life goes back to the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember? That's the tree, God said. Take your pick of all the trees, eat up. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. That's what Satan says. You should try this one. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. So they eat it and they died spiritually. And years later, they died physically. They started dying physically the second they ate that fruit, if you ask me. Okay, so what's your point, Joe? In Genesis... God says, after they've sinned, they can't be here because now they're stained with sin. They can't eat from the tree. In fact, turn to Genesis 3. We have time, maybe. Genesis 3, God says they can't stay here because if they eat from the tree of life, does anybody remember? Something will happen. They'll live forever. And I don't want these people who are evil living forever. Uh, <laughs> verse uh, Genesis 3, 
verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him, kicked him out, 86, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. Keep your finger in Genesis 3, by the way. I think we're going to come back here, uh, but who knows? Um, okay, now I'm reading notes here. Um, that would have made sinful man live forever. That would be the worst nightmare that could be on planet Earth. It's a good thing sinful men die and others take their place. This is hard to picture that in the middle of the street, there's a river, and on either side of the river is the tree of life. It's a big tree, right? Lots of roots. The tree spans the river somehow. Some scholars say, well, tree really means trees, plural. Well, you know what? There's a word for tree, singular, and in Hebrew, there's a word for trees, plural, and it ain't trees. It's the tree of life, just because he wants you to remember Eden. He's saying, I'm restoring the Garden of Eden times a million. That's what he's saying. The restoration of all things, the end of the whole drama of the Bible here. Um, Psalm 1.3 says that a tree surrounded by water is the most fruitful tree, hinting at what we're about to read. Um, okay, let's keep rolling. Um, I'm still in verse 2. On, e on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing, this is an interesting tree, I want one of these in my yard, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Okay, this is a tree that in September, it's pears, and in August, it was apricots, and it was apples in June, and in July, it was plums, I don't know right? 12 different crops. If you know anything about trees, they do bear fruit, but not year round and not 12 different varieties. God's going overboard. Do you sense that? For his kids, that's you. Pretty cool. Um, so we've got plenty of fruit from the tree of life to eat. We've got the river of life, that water, uh, the restoration of all things. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, I'm still reading notes here. Uh, yeah, I'm saving the leaves of the tree for a second. I just want to make sure we cover all this other stuff. Tree is the Greek word zulon, X-U-L-O-N. It can, it can mean tree or a piece of wood or object fashioned out of wood. In Acts three times, Galatians once, First Peter once, <clears throat> this word is used for Jesus hanging on the tree, reminiscent of the tree Jesus hung on, right? A, a cross. In a sense, man gets kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and Jesus' cross becomes the tree of life, in a sense, right? It's the only reason we have eternal life. Isn't it interesting that Genesis, the Bible begins with a story of creation, followed by, listen, a test of one man regarding obedience, regarding a tree, right? Adam, don't eat from that tree. Obey me regarding the tree. Jesus Christ, listen, shows up, and it's the story of one man 
who has a test in the Garden of Gethsemane of obedience regarding a tree, the cross. And what does he say? If there's any way around this, take it from me. But not your will, but my will be done. And what does he do? He obeys all the way to the tree to right the wrongs that were committed in the Garden of Eden. Pretty cool. Okay, and all that fruit, um, I, yeah, I believe we don't have to eat, but we can eat. Me, I'm going to eat. Uh, angels ate with Abraham in Genesis 18.6. Um, the marriage supper of the lamb, we ate and we were glorified, right? How good do you think the food will be? Unbelievable. Okay, here it comes. Warning, what Joe's about to say is Joe's opinion, okay? Just giving you a little advisory. End of verse two, do you see it? And the leaves of the tree, what tree? The tree of life. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What? It could just mean that the leaves, which are part of the tree, are for the healing of all the nations. All the people from this country hate those people. All the racism, all the your country took over our country will never forgive you, the Germans or the French or the Iranians or the Americans or the Russians or the Chinese or the whoever. Maybe there's healing of the nations that way. Maybe. I have always read this verse. I'll just tell you the truth. Can't prove it. I've always noticed the tense of the verbs. They're all past tense. And then it says, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Some translations have were. It's literally are. What's your point, Joe? If I had Bill Gates's, you know, Elon Musk's money, I wish I could fund a research thing to test the leaves of every single tree. Because it wouldn't surprise me, Joe's opinion only, caution, don't take this to heart. It wouldn't surprise me if God put on this earth the, the antidote, the medicine, the, the cure for every disease, from cancer to arthritis to heart, all in the leaves of the trees. Is that what it says? Not really. That's why I gave you the advisory. I already saw a couple of people give me dirty looks, so let's move on. I'm just saying, don't go home and start eating the tree leaves, go oak tree. Joe said, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But it wouldn't surprise me knowing God, how beautiful he is. Um, penicillin, you know, comes from mold, basically, right? Okay, verse three. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. There's a lot here. First of all, no more curse. Remember I told you keep your finger in Genesis 3. Did you do it? You forgot, didn't you? Okay, you're good. So Adam and Eve eat the fruit. Verse 8. <clears throat> no, sorry. Verse 7. As soon as they eat it. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. And they started hiding from one another. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And mankind has been covering up ever since, including you and me. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they greeted the Lord. And, oh, it doesn't say that, does it? And they hid from God. Sin messes up horizontal relationships between people. Sin uh, messes up vertical relationships between people and God. All restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can now love your brothers and sisters differently than you ever could before you were a believer. And you can love and commune with God vertically better than ever before. Okay. What was your point on that, Joe? I'm not sure. Let's keep rolling. They hide from God. Okay. Who told you you were naked? Verse 11. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, don't you love this? Passing the buck. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. It's her fault and your fault, God. You put her here. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman takes a turn at passing the buck. The serpent deceived me. The devil made me do it. Right? You ever heard that? So the Lord God said to the serpent, here comes the punishment. First on the devil, the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl in your buddy and belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That's Israel, eventually. Between your seed offspring, Satan's offspring, is all unbelievers and the demons and hers. Did you see that? That's called the Proto-Evangel. It's Genesis 3.15. It's the first time in the Bible there's a hint about a Messiah. You say, I, I didn't really see the hint. What are you talking about? I'll put enmity, enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Woman, hello, genders, male, female. There's only two, folks. Anyway, between your seed, this is how it reads in Hebrew, Satan, seed, and the woman's seed. You say, okay, well, that's just wrong biologically. Women don't have the seed. Man has the seed when there's reproduction. Woman has the egg. That's wrong. Let's change it right now. Unless there's a virgin birth. The seed of the woman is the Messiah. There's going to be enmity between Satan and Jesus forever. Finally, Back in, in Revelation, the devil's in the lake of fire forever. Okay, let's get to the curse. To the woman, he said, here's the curse. 16, Genesis 3, 16. I will greatly increase your pains in childbirthing, childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Can I get an amen, ladies? Those of you that, yeah. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You say, well, what was that? Listen. In that second phrase in verse 16 is all the problems in marriage. All of them. You say, what are you talking about? Your desire will be for your husband. Oh, you mean the woman will just desire him and have... It's not what it means. The husband is given the role as the leader of the household. It doesn't mean he's supposed to be a jerk and be a horrible ruler, but he's supposed to be a leader. This verse says on the woman's side, your desire will be to take over and wear the pants in the family and tell him a thing or two and take control. That's bad. 
that's called in the 60s, women's lib. Most of you aren't old enough to remember the 60s. I am. Your desire will be for your husband. Oh, see, you're just picking on the women. And here's male chauvinism. And he will rule over you. It's not what he was supposed to do. Both problems in a marriage are right there. Okay, let's keep rolling because we're running out of time. Joe's babbling. Verse 17, to Adam he said, here's the curse. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Eventually they eat the meat, chicken, beef, fish, whatever. Here, it's plants. By the sweat of your brow, verse 19, you'll eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you'll return. He's hinting that he's going to die. What's the curse? Painful work. Weeds, thorns, thistles, pain in childbirth. May I add, death, sickness, injury, conflict between people, all because of the sin. Listen, there's been some societies that are more peaceful than others and some that are more violent and more war-torn. Every society has suffered with all these ills. That's the curse on planet Earth. Why? Adam and Eve. Well, that's not fair. I wasn't in Eden. I wouldn't have done it. Every time you sinned, you ratified Adam or Eve's, depending on if you're a man or a woman, and yes, there's only two genders, decision. Okay. Now go back to verse 3 of Genesis. Got to do this quickly. No longer will there be any curse. All of that's out the window. None of that uh, will happen again. No sorrow or pain in childbirth. No friction between the sexes. No necess necessity of hard or futile work. No sickness, injury, stain of sin, no death. No expulsion from Eden. You're going to live in this Eden world forever, and it's better than Eden. And the throne of God is there forever. The last verse, anybody ever notice this? What's the last verse? What's the last word in the Old Testament? Anybody know? It's the word curse. Lest I strike the land, come and smite the, land, the earth with a curse. The Old Testament law, live up to God's law, ends with the word curse, not the new. Because in grace, Jesus takes the curse on the tree, on the cross, if you will. Um, no more curse. Can we imagine this? Not being able to get sick or die or be injured? or Can I jump off a bridge and not get hurt? Probably. I don't know why you'd want to, but sure, go ahead and try it if you want. Um, no more judgment. It's all been taken care of. No more curse. Pure blessedness. Okay, what's that last phrase? And his servants will serve him. Oh, that's who we are. Yes. That's what we're going to be doing. Yes. Worshiping, serving him. Well, could you be more specific? No. I don't know. Is it going to be tedious, boring, bummer work where you have to put in a 10-hour day yesterday serving God? It won't be like that. It'll be the most joyous service you've ever done. Every day you'll know the reason I'm here is because of him. I'm happy to serve him. What else will we be doing? I can't tell you. God's will is perfect. All I can tell you is 
based on everything I know about God, however good you think heaven will be, it'll be way, way better than that, but whatever you're thinking. Just awesome. Okay, so we're servants, peons, workers. We also reign with him forever. How does that all work out? I don't know, but that's what it says. We're kings and priests. We're also his kids, right? His children. We share in his glory. Pretty amazing, an honor. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, don't turn there now, but it talks about the fact that believers are now, right now, seated with Christ in heavenly places. You say, I don't feel like it. I feel like I'm seated in Oakhurst in a church and it's a little cold in here. Spiritually speaking, he's saying, we're already there. Uh, one day that'll all be uh, true. They, let's keep rolling and get another verse or two under our belts and then we'll quit. Um, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. That's the best thing. Not the gold, not the jewels, not the river of life. It's all great. The tree of life. The fact that God and his son are there. Uh, verse four, what Moses never could do, they'll do. They will see his face. Wow. And his name will be on their foreheads. Ownership, security. Remember the name of the Antichrist or his number on the foreheads of the hands? It's ownership. It's not a negative thing. That's a totally positive thing. But they'll see God's face. I believe that there, was, there will be something about seeing his face that will fulfill a person spiritually, emotionally, mentally, from a knowledge standpoint, physically, every way possible, seeing God's face is going to be the greatest thing there could be for mankind. God built into us, in Ecclesiastes it says, he's put eternities, eternity, the idea of eternity, in the heart of man. God put in there, built in, a desire to live forever, and the fountain of youth, and we never seem to find it. It's Jesus. Amen. Still got a few minutes. You say, bummer. No, sorry. Let's keep rolling. Verse five, there will be no more night. He said that earlier. No more night, no more darkness, no need to sleep. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. You mean physically? Yes. Spiritually? Yes. Every way. Revelation. And they will reign forever and ever. Who? Us. I thought you said we were servants. Both. Servant kings, priests, we're all of the above. Will we get bored? Impossible. Would it be perfect if you got bored? Another day in paradise. Here we go. I don't think so. I think there will be learning experiences. How long will it take you to get to know everything about God and Jesus? A couple trillion years? I think it'll take longer than that. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know what it is uh, exactly. But here's what I do know, and we'll close for now. What I do know is this. If you look at this in the third person, yeah, that's pretty cool for those people. You won't get out of this what you will if you see it as this my future home. And if it's as awesome as Joe is saying, and it is, I owe God everything. 
I ought to be more heavenly minded. And suddenly it shouldn't matter to me about money and cars and Rolex watches and jobs and all the other stuff that we spend so much time worrying about. It should make us want to witness more. You say, why? I'm going. I don't care. My name's already up there. Yes, but don't you have loved ones, family members, friends, old friends, new friends, co-workers, neighbors that don't believe? Don't you want them to go? It's not up to you, but it's up to you to cast seeds and let God do the work. It should make us more heavenly minded. Now, there's a saying that I don't think is really true. You ever heard this? Yeah, she's so heavenly minded, she's no earthly good. Listen, if you're truly heavenly minded, you are great in terms of being earthly good. You want to serve his kingdom starting now. You're going to do it then. You want to worship him now. You're going to be worshiping him for all eternity, right? It, it, this ought to change the way we live. It ought to give us hope. It ought to give us encouragement. This is the end of your story. In a baseball game, if your team, it's the ninth inning, your team's losing 19 to 2, and you think, oh, there's no hope. This, these verses say you're going to score 25 runs in the ninth inning. God is, actually. And it's all going to be awesome. And I suspect that the time you and I spent on earth suffering, bummed out, depressed, hurt, um, poor, in pain, is going to seem like about two seconds in the third grade, and it was over. Right? And the time you and I spent being ridiculed or persecuted for the gospel is going to seem like it was all worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these words. What an awesome thing. I wish we could spend two months in this chapter. I don't want to leave, but the rest of the chapter is pretty cool too. Thank you, Father. We, none of us will deserve to be there. We're not better than anybody else. We deserve to be in the lake of fire except for your son, Jesus. And you've given us the faith. Help us to live with this in mind, God. Let it change our attitude about things, about people, about time, about your word, about you, about Jesus. We love you, Father. We're so grateful. Use us for your glory and we give thanks to you for these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hopefully we'll finish Revelation. It'll be on me if we don't. So don't ask me any questions. See you next time. God bless you. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know if you're here. God bless you on Zoom. Thank you for being here. See you soon.